Welcome to the Red Dice Diaries. This podcast is a rambling journey through the wonderful world of RPGs from the viewpoint of a long-time GM and player. The music at the start of this podcast was Nightmare by Alexander Nakarada and is used under Creative Commons license. So in this episode I'm joined by Johannes Pavola again and we're going to be talking about one of my favourite subjects which is OSR gaming. Now Johannes we were in a, a recent conversation with Dennis where we were sort mm-hmm. of like chatting a bit on Facebook about OSR gaming and you were saying one of the things that you liked about the OSR style was the things that people do with it, the way they sort of adapt it, the way they alter it. Uh, and you mentioned Stars Without Number as a good example of that. Yep. So if, if you just like clarify for, for the people who are listening, uh, what is it particularly you think is sort of valid about the OSR as a sort of start of gaming? Well, if, if we want to look at the core, I think whatever gaming you do is is probably fine as it is if, if you're enjoying it. But um, OSR specifically, uh, as far as I go, uh, I guess I'm not, like, because I started with Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition, mm-hmm. I think. I think that's what it was. Some of my earliest materials were... Uh, Translated into Finnish, and I don't, I, I don't necessarily understand which part of the DMD spectrum that came from. But uh, so I, I'm not from the like BX days myself. So my take on the OSR as it is uh, comes from probably like if if you could say such a thing like an outsider's perspective in the in the way that I never there is no old school for me because yeah. I didn't play them but um, looking at it now uh, I really like the sort of uh, like creative and exploratory things that people do under the umbrella of the OSR um, prime examples being uh, a lot of these, like campaign settings, essentially, like what like you used to get in like box sets back in the day for D and D, but they do them in like with the um, the West Haven game that we're playing in. We're using the Middlelands uh, OSR yeah. materials, uh, which is by the way uh, a very good set of two books and some maps. Um, I really like that part of the whole OSR thing where people take these worlds that they either played in or that just dreamed up and provide these materials for, like, essentially like, just like toolkits for you to use in these specific uh, contexts. So, <clears throat> for, I don't know, probably our listeners are familiar with the OSR, but usually that translates into fairly simple, old-school D&D-style rules. So not, not a yeah. lot of rules and a whole lot of rulings, and you make it up as you go, and you have fun with it. So uh, so that's fairly simple as it is, but I really like these like specific contexts that are provided by some of these materials, like the Middlelands. Uh, I really enjoy that. I really enjoy the um, uh, spectacular physical books as well as the PDFs for 
the Hot Springs Islands. Yeah, they are some uh, sweet books. Yeah, so that's probably like my number one thing for OSR. These wonderful worlds, which might be just entirely system agnostic, not tied into anything like the Hot Springs are. Uh, it's just uh, an environment, basically, where you can do your hex crawl or you can do like whatever you want with it, really. Uh, but these wonderful, detailed, and uh, like characterful, like uh, they're like they're about something, like one specific thing. Like with the Midlands, it's all about the everything's green and weird, and probably slime and mushrooms as well. Uh, so like it's it's all about that. And then with the Hot Springs Island, it's about this uh, like ancient elven like recreational <laughs> uh, <laughs> resort that's been turned into. <laughs> Uh, an adventure location and uh, uh, just stuff like that uh, an honorable mention to Kevin Crawford's uh, Reddit Tide which is a campaign setting book for uh, like ostensibly for Labyrinth Lord uh, another OSR game uh, but you could use it for like whatever OSR stuff, fairly easy to convert as, as these things are but uh, Red Tide again wonderful a very specific thing to play your game in. So I guess I'm in uh, I'm in it for the worlds, really, when it comes to OSR. I've got to admit, I'm not really familiar with Red Tide. What's the sort of, like, the pitch for, for that? The pitch for Red Tide is basically, it's, a, it's sort of like a post-apocalyptic deal in that uh, this <laughs> the eponymous uh, Red Tide uh, came into this fairly... Uh, well, there are some differences in it, but like this fantasy world, um, <clears throat> uh, like this, uh, from some other dimension, this red mist started coming in, and um, it spreads faster than people expect, and uh, nobody reacts fast enough, even though there's this, like, whatever seer who's labeled insane because he's like the, the world is ending we should do something and people go no you shut up we're fine and then <laughs> uh, the the red mist overtakes the, basically the entire world and this crazy dude gets um enough money together to basi basically like buy a whole lot of boats and then just gets everyone he can onto these boats and they sail away from the mist which is like consuming the land and uh turning people into uh, it, like the, the mist itself is almost sort of like a, a, an extra dimensional space inside the mist, okay. which turns everything into uh, like something uh, between Cthulhu and then uh, like Lovecraft's more like tamer and more understandable like Greenland stuff. So it's sort of like a awful like nightmare dimension inside the, the mist, which like changes and mutates everything. So this mist sweeps over the world. This crazed prophet slash wizard uh, leads these whatever people he could muster uh, onto this island, which he has seen in his visions that will be the only place spared. And <clears throat> so you're on this, like a string of islands. Uh, you brought some civilization with you. And uh, this island is protected from the mists. It's like maybe 200 meters off the coast. The mist just roils there and has consumed basically the entire rest of the world. And then you have this... Um, it, it's all mapped out in the, the books. So you have this island which is uh, like divided between 
the like successor uh, countries or empires of of the actual mainland that survived, or like the reinvented versions of those, and then uh, basically they just like slowly decay because they basically lost all knowledge and civilization, but they got enough that they could actually like set up a society, but they uh, so much was lost that it's sort of like. Um, it's sort of like Lord of the Rings in that way. Like you, you used to have all these great things, now you don't. And also, there's some people that, who are actively trying to bring the mist in to the island, and then you get your whole like Lovecraft cults and whatever. And it's all all of this is flavored in uh, like Southeast Asia type of vibe. Okay. So it, it's quite unique in that way, and uh, I really enjoy the again with the flavors and everything. Uh, it's it's a wonderful OSR setting that I wholeheartedly recommend for everyone. Also, as a bonus, as uh, Kevin Crawford always does, wonderful uh, generators of, of stuff in it. So you can use that for other uh, fantasy gaming as well, because the, the tools for the GNs in, in Crawford's books tend to be entirely system agnostic or very easily portable, if not. Incidentally, I run a Burning Wheel game <laughs> in the Red Tide world. <laughs> that was also interesting. It, it reminds me a bit. You talked about these sort of like these patchworks of like bits of civilization that have survived. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of the 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 GURPS Bainstorm book, which is basically is ostensibly like a fantasy world, but the idea is that these like extra dimensional storms have sort of hit mm -hmm. various different worlds throughout history. And whoever gets caught in the storms ends up like deposited like Narnia style in this like fantasy <laughs> okay. world. So you've got this weird sort of like patchwork where there's like one of the empires is like um, a remnant of like the Roman Empire at its height from our mm. world. But of course, because they were transplanted there, they've had to like choose their own emperor and like mm. their, their empire has not met the same fate as it did in our world. And there's like fantasy races who've been like pulled from their worlds and various mm -hmm. like different sort of earth civilizations that never really met in our world but they've all yeah. just been sort of like dumped together in this like fantasy world and they've had to like survive and yeah. war or get on with each other as the case may be yeah that sounds like uh it, it could be used for a lot of fun stuff really uh, i i enjoy that sort of like you you take two things which never like met in our world so to speak and you you smash them together and you see what happens. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it, I, I quite like, I always quite like it when books do that as well because I think that mirrors the way a lot of people certainly I know myself sort of construct their own campaign settings for like OSR games and other games. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at something like Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, that's very obviously based on like a, a sort of twisted version of like medieval Europe. The Midlands mm -hmm. is like a weird sort of green tinged fantasy version of like Britain and the UK. Uh, and I think a lot of sort of people construct their worlds by like going, like, all right, okay, I want um, I want sort of like a Viking slash Nordic style civilization over here, and I'm going to have this civilization mm -hmm. down here, where based on like the Greeks or whatever. And I certainly know I tend to do that because obviously constructing just like one sort of like civilization whole scale from scratch is like an awful lot of work. It's like very difficult to do convincingly mm -hmm. if you're just making it like wildly different from anything we know. And then you've got to get players to actually sort of like adapt to it because you're, you're like, oh, you've never heard of any of this before, yeah. but you're playing a person who grew up in this civilization. Here's some basic yep. info. Enjoy. Yep. Yeah, well, the, the buy-in is, is 
very high at that point. That's it. I mean, I think it can be satisfying if you pull it off. But whereas, if you say to someone like, "Oh, you're in this civilization," all right, it's a fantasy version, but it's based loosely on like the Roman Empire. Everyone sort of knows something about the Roman Empire, and you mm-hmm. can you can more sort of easily slide your way into it because you you can deal with the familiar parts first of all, and then you can like find out where it differs like later on so if someone says oh it's it's the roman empire but the gods are definitely real people know they're real yeah you can sort of like you can quite easily get into that whereas if they're like oh this is uh this is this kingdom that i've entirely made up with a pantheon of gods you've never heard of you have to do mm-hmm. a lot more sort of legwork and a lot more like reading to play a character who's grown up in that setting yeah I think uh, an example of this this isn't like remotely or sorry anymore but <laughs> um our uh, Space Grease uh, campaign, where we basically played Jason and the Argonauts in space uh, with like laser bows and, <laughs> and uh, like robotic animals and uh, all, all sorts of craziness. Uh, and I, I think because we, we all have the shared <laughs> knowledge and language of ancient Greece, like we, we know. Uh, this well, we we know the story as well, but uh, like we we know like details about ancient Greece, so it allows us to be like yeah, of course it's going to be in space. Yeah, I'm riding my uh, like porpoise in in space uh, because that's what happens in this game. But also there's context for all this because it's ancient Greece. At least that's what we said. So uh, you you just take these outlandish ideas and you hold it together or you pray that it <laughs> like holds it together when you lay all, like some duct tape on it in the form of ancient Greece and togas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, p- part of the point of like, me running that game was basically just to go, right, right, if I take a familiar concept, can I just like drop it into uh, unfamiliar surroundings, like you said, like space and stuff like that, and basically just go, mm-hmm. right, players, it's ancient Greece, but in space, go and just see whether mm-hmm. it'd be possible to run a game like that and obviously if we we're going to be running like a long term campaign we'd have had to have like put a bit more work in but since yeah. since at the start we'd like right we're running through the story of Jason and the Argonauts everyone has at least seen the film of Jason and the Argonauts even if you've not like read any of the sort of actual writings about it so everyone's again got that sort of bedrock of like knowledge and then you can say, "Oh, okay. Well, I'm uh, I'm playing a character who's like a bit like Hercules and Jason the Argonauts, but I'll, uh, instead of having like a normal bow, I've got like a laser bow or whatever." Mm-hmm. And you can just go, "Yeah, that, that's fine." Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. To get back into because I was talking about in, in our chat before, I was talking about Starfield number, mm-hmm. and um, the other thing I really enjoy uh, in OSR. Is and this isn't like in all OSR because, well, we we know that a lot of the games don't work like this. But especially yeah. with Stars Without Number, there's like Crawford includes a lot of stuff in it that's sort of in the spirit of of the OSR. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he has the like the basic like you 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 attack someone, you roll your d twenty, and you add your attack bonus or whatever. But because uh, it's a space game, it's a sci-fi game, uh, you get other stuff in there. Um, uh, well, first of all, like his his character classes are different. Like you have uh, psychics in there, which uh, Crawford didn't just make 
uh, into well, yeah, you're a psychic, so you can just pick like these spells uh, from different OSR books. Uh, he made stuff there, uh, so you have these psychic disciplines with uh, distinct powers and uh, the way that psychics work is well. I won't go as far as say like it's completely unique, but it's it's not something you'd find in the next OSR book, is what I'm saying. So it's it's fairly emblematic to start with a number, and uh, that already spins things quite a lot in in a way that I really enjoy because like I can I can go pick up ten OSR books that tell me you can have wizard spells from OSR books, and uh, start with a number does something else. Uh, which the the revised edition also has rules for uh, like non like science fantasy stuff. So it has space wizards now, <laughs> and and you can use your OSR spells in space if you want to. But uh, like the <clears throat> the stuff that's original to start with a number, uh, the psychics already bring in a lot of flavor that I really like because it doesn't exist in the the general. Uh, like body of OSR, and it's a little bit different. It works a little bit differently, so that that really tickles my fancy. And also with the the revised edition of Stars Without Number, um, Crawford includes these what, what he calls foci, which are basically uh, they're sort of like special abilities or qualities that you can pick for your character. So you start out, uh, you're a warrior, so you mm -hmm. can pick one free focus for your character when you create your uh, character in the beginning of the game yeah. that is combat focused. So you take your uh, whatever, I forget what it's called, but like gunslinger or something that you're, you can do some nifty stuff with guns. Um, whether it's uh, like you can uh, you get like plus one to hit or whatever uh, and then you can reload your stuff for free uh, or there's focuses where it basically says uh, you can make friends with NPCs. Basically, you can you can find a friend that's willing to help you within 24 hours anywhere where there's society. So, nice. <laughs> so there's like it, it ranges from yeah you get these combat bonuses and yeah you get this like mechanical stuff, and then it goes uh, into the other end of the spectrum as well where it mm -hmm. says like you. you if you want to, you can have friends here. At least some people who are willing to consider helping you uh, within 24 hours, no matter where you are. If you're within civilization, you can find some people to work with. So uh, that sort of addition really uh, made the, the revised edition stand out to me. The, the regular version of Stars Without Number, amazing game as well, but the revised edition brought in a lot more stuff which isn't really like in, in the DNA of of the OSR, which, as as far as I understand it, anyway, uh, but like this sort of thing really speaks to me because I, I I like that sort of thing. <laughs> I, I would I would like to have a thing on my character sheet that says, uh, of course, I can just go out and find NPCs until I am blue in the face, but I, I really like it when there's like again with the specific focus on things. Uh, I like it when it's explicit and focused and like razor sharp uh, when it comes to rules. And uh, I, I like it when there's uh, I, I like these these sort of rules that affect more than just like my character. Even though my character is 
the thing that brings the rule into the game. Like in this uh, instance with, uh, <clears throat> yeah, you can find people to work with in, in a day if you want to. <clears throat> I really like that sort of thing. Because it explicitly tells to everyone that this is a thing that we're probably going to do. Like, I, I wouldn't have picked this if yeah. I didn't want to do this. It's an easy, like, shorthand for uh, stuff that you want to do in the game. And you have a thing on your sheet that says, you can do this. If I remember correctly as well, the original edition of Stars Without Number, it's available for free as a PDF, if I remember oh, correctly. Yeah. Bo both of these are free as a PDF, the revised and the original version as well. <clears throat> they... They do have deluxe versions, which uh, you need to pay for, but you can easily run a game with just the free version. Basically, what you're going to miss are, I'm trying to desperately remember if it was the same chapters in, in both the revised edition and the original, but basically you're going to miss some uh, GM tools for generating societies, uh, like just like roll tables for like sci-fi societies, uh, you're probably gonna miss some like robot slash like mech stuff, so th that's probably a thing. And then maybe like AI stuff, but that like you can do with all without all that. Like you, you still have a full game with a shit ton of GM tools, uh, and it's for free, right? So <laughs> there's nothing to lose there. And uh, you don't necessarily need, unless you want to run the mech game of your dreams, uh, you probably need those mech stuff in there, unless you have your own. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, it's one of the things I do like about the OSR, as I've seen Stars Without Number and other games like that, is a lot of this stuff is available in PDF format, either pay what you want or free. So even if you've not got like scads of cash to like spend on like new books, you can have a look at. A lot of these things in PDF decide yeah. which ones appeal to you and then if you've only got enough cash to buy like a couple of books you can decide which ones you want to buy you can make a more sort of informed purchase because I know yeah. I, I had the I had the original version of Stars Without Number 3 on PDF for like ages before I was like oh that deluxe edition looks pimp I'm gonna get myself a copy mm -hmm. of that and it is pimp to be fair but uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I agree with what you're saying about the to give like a shout out to like the random charts I mean I'm a massive fan of random charts it's one of the things I like in a lot of OSR games anything that sort of like works as an idea generator or like if I'm a bit stuck I can look at a chart and like roll a dice and then go like oh yeah that's a cool idea and just like it gets gets my brain working and yeah. I think the, the the sort of sector creation rules in Stars Without Number are, are absolutely great and yeah uh, fantastic I, I know i've mentioned the the website sectors without numbers to yourself before anyone who's thinking about sort of getting into stars without number i advise you to have a look at that and i'll try and put a link in the description of this video but it lets you make like a sector of space randomly using these rules like using a website and then just sort of like tweak it to meet your needs so effectively you can just be like boom that's pretty much like my campaign map done yeah and it, it goes into, like, you don't properly realize the detail it goes into until you roll up a sector. There was a previous, uh, I think it's, there was a previous generator uh, site for the, uh, the original version. And uh, it went down for a while. I don't know why, but I think it's still, like, it's working again. But anyway, this, this new um, generator, so sectors without number, um, it 
it goes into uh, well it uses the tools right from the the book but using those tools it goes into uh, I, I think quite the incredible detail um, on like what what it generates right because it, it generates you star systems on uh, a hex map of I think the the like standard size is like 10 by 8 so it generates this sector of space for you it generates stars in there it generates planets in there it generates moons for those planets it generates other sites of interest in space so like deep space stations it generates uh, obviously like there's a limited amount on all of these roll tables of different stuff so you're gonna get some duplicates but like whatever uh, you're you're gonna get deep space stations you're gonna get like what's the current problem or situation in each of those deep space stations so you get this large map with uh, a lot of detail uh, for both like planets and moons and like other installations in space and you get plot hooks for basically each each thing on the map uh, already built in and uh, that's uh, quite amazing. O obviously, like all, if you were to do this by hand, which you can, uh, I've, uh, well, I've sort of done it. But when you click the generate a new sector, what you're doing is you're automating like hundreds and hundreds of dice rolls, <laughs> and uh, the the fact that you can just do it with an online tool is fantastic. And and like John said, I would very much recommend you go there because that. It's so easy, and uh, it's just like you could you could go there right now, click on it, and have a ready-made campaign world for your game for several years going forward. Which the, is wonderful. The, the nice thing about it as well is, if if you get like the if I remember correctly, I mean, it's been a while since I've been on it. You can like re-roll the individual elements on the oh, yeah, and, on and the you site. can just pick if you want to. Like you, you can just pick from the the tables as well. Yeah, so you, you can sort of tweak it if it doesn't precisely match what you want. And there's a few like manual bits you can do, like you can add in like trade routes and bits and pieces like yeah. that. So it's nice because it lets you just sort of click on generate and you're like, right, boom, there's the background. But then you can still do the sort of fine tuning of it yourself. It just means you're not sat there for like four hours like rolling dice to like generate all the basics. You can just click on one button and it's mm -hmm. done in like a few seconds, which I think I think's a. Uh, that that's what sort of like automation in gaming should be about. It doesn't entirely take away your sort of agency to like change things and create things. All it's doing is basically saying, like, "I'll do the heavy lifting." Then, mm -hmm. then once I've got all the basics sorted out, you come in and just sort of put the final bit of polish on it and sort of make it what you want it to be. Yeah, and I, I think, especially in this case, right? Like you're the end product is what you're looking for. Obviously, it's fun to like throw dice and have ideas while you're doing it. I really enjoy just like get, uh, get yourself a blank hex map of 8 by 10 and you just start like throwing dice and you get some ideas for stuff immediately when you're working with these generators. That's fun. But uh, like when you're looking at starting a game, uh, what, you're, what you want on your table is a map that's laid out and that has like relevant stuff on it and the fact that you can just do that and essentially like not like you're, you're not giving anything away like you're not losing on anything you just automate this extensive process 
and the thing that you desire is the, the end goal anyway. I think this is probably the, <laughs> like, outside of, like, SRDs for some games, this, this is probably the most useful tool uh, online for RPGs. Of course, this is just for this particular RPG, and so it's useful only in that context. Or, like, you could just make, again, it's uh, largely system, system agnostic, so as long as you like the flavor of the stuff that it generates, you can just use this for your space games, whatever you're doing. But uh, it's it's incredible how easy this thing is to use, <laughs> and you can add stuff as well. Like you can you can only not just like change stuff. You can add stuff as you like. Yeah, I mean one of the the nice things about it as well is if you're obviously if you're running like an online game, it's easy enough to like screen share it and be like, right, here's the map boom lovely jubbly but there's also like a number of different options for exporting it like there's a I think there's a, like a condensed option where you can sort of print all the information out like a table format so you've got like a, a sort of condensed easy reference and then there's like an expanded version where there's like lots of white space left in so if you went to like go old school and like write so right by hand yeah. over all your notes you can still do that and yeah. if i remember correctly there's even a JSON format export, which sort of does it in a, a format that some of the that, that some of the various different um, campaign software uses. I know a campaign logger uses JSON format, mm -hmm. although I don't know precisely what would be involved with like importing entries and whatever. Yeah. So I've not done it myself. I also believe that you can you can basically use the platform of sectors without number to share your sector map with your players. And you can, <clears throat> there's toggles in the generator. Uh, you can choose which things are shown and which are not. And there are uh, text boxes for information that you can just have for yourself as a GM, like GM-specific notes. If you, if you want to write something down, you just put it in there. And you can share the. Uh, you can just share like a link to sectors without number that your players can use to look at the sector or at least the parts that you have left um, open for them to view, which I think is really good for <laughs> especially online gaming. Yeah, I've just clicked on it now to sort of have a look at what the differences are between the um, the sort of player view and the GM view, and it seems to basically be that like when you click on planets and um, systems where you've got like information about them when you're in the player view you get like the generic information like you get like um, what the atmosphere is like what the temperature is like if the biosphere supports life if it has a population what the tech level is so all the basic information you gather from like an orbit or like close surface mm -hmm. scan whereas obviously when you go into the gm bit you've got sort of like all the various like planet tags and plot hints and stuff that's mm -hmm. going on on there yeah which is pretty cool because your your atmospheric scan doesn't show that actually everyone on the planet is a cannibal <laughs> and you shouldn't go there. Wait, well, it's funny you should mention that, but the random planet I've just um, clicked on, one of the tags on it is zombies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, Which, yeah, I, I quite like the fact that then, like you say, it gives you these um, these little tags underneath where it's like different suggestions. Like uh, for enemies on this zombies one, it's got like soulless Maltech biotechnology cult. 
sinister government agent and crazed zombie cultist. It's like if you can't if you can't think of a plot to do with that. There's something wrong with you. Yeah, I mean that's and and that's that's the whole deal with these tags that uh, are in each of Crawford's like these these big books and and some of his smaller books as well because he does like supplements for his games. Uh, he creates these tags as a way of yeah, like it's it's a shorthand for you to whip up a game in like half an hour and have it be like about this thing because you can like you can just pick the zombies tag and then you go well I want zombies but like what can I do with them and then you can just say well, well there's these location suggestions under the zombie tag which uh, I, that sounds cool so I'm gonna pick that and then I'm gonna have the like soulless Maltec <laughs> cult uh, operate in there. And I'm gonna have some fun with zombies uh, with my friends tonight, that, and that is wonderful. And uh, there's actually in one of Crawford's games called uh, what's it, Silent Legions, which is Crawford's like modern day, at least that's implied, uh, like like modern modern day OSR Lovecraftian. Uh, I, I I sort of want to add like point crawl on on top of that pile of, of categories, but it's like that's not mandated in any okay. way. But, but it's uh, it's basically you play these like Lovecraftian investigator heroes, obviously more in the style of uh, pulp rather than uh, oh I'm I'm playing a scary uh, horror game, uh, <clears throat> and the the game is essentially about your characters bouncing around in whatever area you've chosen, whether it's uh, just a city or uh, a county or an entire country, uh, and you as the GM seed that place with these different cults for which, given it's a Crawford game, there's a shit ton of generators for this. So you generate these cults and you sprinkle them all over the, the place and you figure out adventures, so to speak, uh, or, like, shit for them to investigate um, that, like, eventually, like, leads back into these cults. And uh, these cults will be, like, competing against each other as well. Like, they they have their own dark deities that they worship, and maybe they don't agree. Maybe they're gods or enemies, so they, they have a holy war going on. And your investigators are in the middle trying to figure out what's what. And uh, in that game, uh, Crawford actually goes uh, and creates this sort of system for generating uh, like mysteries or like stuff to investigate. So it's it's a breakdown of the mystery. So you start from uh, okay, so like what happened. Uh, or like the essentially like the end result, and then there's a like step by step process of how you work back from that, and uh, uh, in, insert some some of that investigation investigation goodness into your games. Also, uh, Crawford's these tags that he has. Um, not only are they just fuel for you because you can see, like I said, you can see oh, these are suggestions for enemies in, in this zombie place. You can also find in probably, again, all of these games, this list of 
probably, I think it's a hundred, like a D hundred table in each of his books of plot seeds, which are basically the PCs uh, and then like brackets friend uh, is being uh, harassed by brackets enemy in brackets location mm -hmm. because of brackets complication. And then you you pick your location tag, you fill in those words from the tag, and then you have your thing, like what's happening. So, so it's sort of like a Madlib sort of thing, you know, you've got like a template yeah. and you fill it in. Yeah. That's Which, cool. of course, like, it's, it's not like super detailed or anything, but like if you want to, you can just, you can throw your D, D100 and you just go, well, I'm going to use the zombies and uh, like the desert. And uh, then I landed on this formula, and then I'm going to try and insert these things into these places on the sentence there to figure out if it's something I want to do. Well, I think we've sort of successfully turned this um, this episode <laughs> into a why you should buy Kevin Crawford's get RPGs. So. Or, or get them for free, because he, his uh, stuff is free uh, if you want to get the PDFs, at least. That's true. Um, yeah, I, I do very much agree with you. I mean, I think one of the strengths of the, the OSR movement is the fact that the, the idea that the basic rules are sort of fairly simple and they're already like locked down gives people license to then go, all right, the basics are done. I can just focus on like my own little bits or the bits that interest me, whether that's a, a campaign setting, whether it's like a news system, whether it's some random charts, whatever. I also think one of the advantages of that is we talked earlier, obviously, about um, how if you've got something that's familiar in a campaign setting, it's easier to sort of get into it and then just focus on the differences. Yeah. I think the same also goes for role systems. Because, I mean, let's face it, I mean, I, I'm nothing against learning like new role systems, but pretty much like every role player has at least some basic experience of like some version of D&D. So I think mm -hmm. one of the major benefits of OSR is like if you've played any version of D&D at all, really, apart from maybe 4th edition, because that was quite different, um, you're going to have no problem really adapting to an OSR game in terms of the mechanics, although I appreciate that like, the mindset of some of the earlier stuff is a bit different to some of the later stuff. But if you say, if you're like, oh, I've played a bit of D&D, then you go and pick up Stars Without Number, the basics mm -hmm. of the role system will be very familiar to you. So then you're like, all right, okay, I can just play a basic character. I'm not going to worry about anything. Or you can go, right, well, I've only got to learn, like, what's different about psychics and my psychic powers because I've got the basic roles locked down already. Mm -hmm. So I think that frees mm -hmm. you up to focus on what makes an OSR game unique from all the others or at least a, a bit different from all the others without having to worry about learning the thing whole cloth. Yeah, and I think that's, well, at least for most OSR games that I'm aware of, usually it's a very bad idea to just run in and immediately escalate everything into a physical conflict. And that fact, combined with the very transferable understanding of how that sort of thing works in OSR games, uh, I, I think it, well... I think it's a clue that eventually everyone's going to pick up. Like, this isn't the thing that's important here because it's it's quite simple. You already know it. 
and you'll figure out in short order that it's a bad idea most of the time. <laughs> and uh, uh, then then you focus on, okay, so if this is, like, this is the baseline, right? And it like it's not the, by far, it's not the best thing to do in every situation. Like, what else can I do? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's uh, probably, like, divert some efforts, like, away from just picking the straightforward solution and using your massive mace to crush your opposition. Yeah, I mean, I think almost sort of like perversely, the one of the strengths of the the OSR rules system is the fact that it encourages you a lot of the time, as you say, to not use the OSR rules system. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, which I have some thoughts about that, but I think it's 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 a it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean. Again, it comes down to this like rulings over rules thing that uh, gets mentioned a lot. But I, I think certainly for myself, I mean, I, I sort of came into like the OSR fairly recently, and that was after playing a lot of newer games like Fate and stuff like that, which again have very simple rules, and they sort of they have like one or two sort of strong core mechanics that apply to everything. And it's like whatever you want to do, whether it's someone falling off a cliff, it's someone trying to mingle with some NPCs, someone trying to hide in a bush and leap out and like whack someone over the back of the head, yeah. you can do it with those basic rules. You don't have to look up like an individual rule for that specific thing. And I think, oddly enough, when you sort of look back at the OSR games, again they have that similar thing. It, I mean, it comes it normally comes down to like either an attribute test, a skill test, or like rolling a d20, and that's yeah. pretty much it for the majority. So that sort of frees you up to go, right, well, since I'm not worrying about the rules, all I've got to worry about is what my character's doing, and I know it's covered by the rules. Whereas mm-hmm. I, I tend to find in games like 5th edition, and I've no problems with 5th edition, I enjoy playing it, it's, it's a different type of enjoyment, but I do enjoy it. Whereas I find in 5th edition, certainly when I'm playing it, and sort of other games of that ilk, when I get into a situation... I'm sort of more focused on like pouring over my sheet and going like, all right, what ability or like feat or like spell or what what have I got that I can use to help me in this mm-hmm. situation? Whereas when I've played like an OSR game or a slightly more rules light game, I'm less focused on pouring through my character sheet and I'm more just like, right, what's my character going to do in this situation? Yeah. Yeah, there's probably. Uh, like a couple of hard takes on this, which like you just represented one, which is like yeah, because it's uh, like I, I can basically improvise the solution to my problems. It is what it is with OSR a lot of the times because you you don't have the the thing there. Yeah, which uh, I quite enjoy, even though like I said before, I do like the explicit sharp. Uh, very specific rules, like like I mentioned, with uh, you can find friends here. Uh, so I, I enjoy that sort of thing, but I also enjoy the fact that you are free to try a lot of stuff. And I think, well, this, this is the thing, right? Because I, I think almost every OSR game or retro clone of your choice probably at some point says. Yeah, the like the rules aren't quote unquote uh, complete, and we have left some holes in it, and that's deliberate. Yeah. And this is a rules. Uh, th- these are the rules, and the, then the rest are gonna be rulings. Uh, I don't know if, like, if it's ever spelled out, 
but I think uh, a lot of OSR boils down to just a shared sense of drama and uh, trust between whoever's playing there because you're re you're relying so much on the rulings of the the person running the game because usually OSR <laughs> products tend to say well the the GM or the DM has final say they are god as far as this game goes yeah so you you listen to them or you die and uh, I, I think it could use some more highlighting uh, at least that like, I would prefer if it was spelled out uh, and this isn't like I'm not trying to underestimate people or anything but I would like it to be as explicit as the fact that there's one guy at the table who can decide whatever at any point in time <laughs> I would like it to be spelled out that y you can the, the most fun you'll have with these games is when you trust your fellow players not to be assholes because we don't have rules here to prevent them from being that way uh, and we're trusting you all to be adults which I realize it, it sounds dumb to like call for this sort of thing because it's like you should just assume that but uh, I think it would help when that's not the case. <laughs> yeah, I can certainly see your point there. <laughs> so, like, at this, this is this is my perspective into OSR. I, I think it's like the rules are just incidental, and all of it comes down to: are, are you feeling the same kinds of vibes as as the other people at the table, and do you trust them to do some fun stuff with you? And that's that's the game, which again like that that relies entirely on the people playing it and very little on the game itself. Yeah, and I think that's a a great note to end this episode on. So, Johannes, thank you very much for joining me again. Thanks. Glad to be here. So that's it for this episode. If you have any questions or suggestions for things you'd like to see in the podcast in future, please either email them to reddicediaries at gmail.com or drop me a voicemail at Anchor. Until I see you next time, whenever you're playing, take care and enjoy yourselves. Mm -hmm.